Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hello and welcome. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth and welcome to Visual Workplace Radio where I am your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system, which is our intelligence, into the living dynamic landscape of work through visual devices, visual mini systems, visual solutions, visual thinking. And why do we do that? So we can reap the enormous financial benefits, 15 to 30% increase in productivity. We see it all the time. A spirited, engaged, contributing workforce. And so that we can enjoy ourselves at work. We can enjoy ourselves. We can go to work and we contribute and we flow and we have a lovely time. It's possible. It's possible when the workplace speaks because the visual language of visuality connects us. It connects us with our work, it connects us with ourself, and it connects us with others. It gives us a unified workplace. So welcome. Welcome. Visit us at visualworkplace.com where you will see our products and services, of which we have many. Contact us if you want one of us to come out and train your folks, train your operators, train your supervisors, your CEOs, train your workforce. If you just want us to do an overview of what the methodology is about and what our vision of workplace visuality is, contact us. We're happy to do that. I travel all over the world and my affiliates, the affiliates of my company, deliver these trainings and these seminars as well. We do complete visual conversions. We contribute to your operational excellence in ways that are tangible and very, very powerful. We are happy to work with you. We also have my books on our website, and we have wonderful online training systems. Please check us out. You'll also find free articles, over 100 of them, that I've written, and podcasts, of this show. I did 250 podcasts about six years ago for Voice America that were on our website, but we've started a new cycle, a fresh cycle. I've learned a great deal in the last six or seven years, and even though we may be covering the same topics, we have a slightly new bend to it, and we have additional insight and additional examples. So please be in touch with us, visualworkplace.com. If you want to reach me directly, or contact someone who can respond to your questions, please find us at radio at visualworkplace.com. It would be our pleasure. (laughs) So we are in the third of our series on borders. I'm going to be doing a rather long series on the visual wear, on operator-led visuality, on work that makes sense. And I've spoken about work that makes sense theoretically through many shows. And now I just want to kind of get to the visual part, get to what I call the sexy part, the borders. And after I finish borders, which I think I'll complete in this show, then we'll move to smart placement, which is what happens before the borders. And you'll understand that as soon as you listen in. And then we'll move on from there to addresses and the other components of the visual wear and Perhaps we'll move into visual mini-systems as well. This is a progression. It is a progression, as I emphasize a lot, of thinking. It's not just a mindset, but it is dynamic thinking about the workplace. In visuality, we have an array of elements that are called the building blocks that allow operators who are engaged in work that makes sense. This is the methodology for operators 
very different if we're working with supervisors. We do visual scheduling and visual displays and other kinds of, well, actually behavioral trainings as well and different when we work with executives. But for operators, it's work that makes sense where operators not only improve their workplace, but they own it. They own the layout. It's logical and works for them because of that logic. And it continues to progress to become more and more of a partner in the performance of work, truly a partner. We make partners out of the inanimate objects of our workplace, the floor, the walls, the machine, the benches, the tools. They become our partners, but only if we give them a voice because only then can they talk to us in a language that we can understand because it is our own. So we're into the borders part. And what I want to do today, I want to hit three main sections. One is I want to complete the list of 12, no, 13 reasons for borders. I want to bring you through maybe five or six borders that we haven't discussed in the first show. I want to kind of give you a, a sense of the array. There are 18 types of borders in all, and I've covered five of them. So we'll hit five or six more, so you get that. And then I want to move to the actual building blocks of the thinking around borders so that you can see how um, engaging the idea of borders is. It's not laying down a line. It's laying down a function. It's discovering what is the right function for this border. That's the type of border. How do I put it in place? How do I map it? So we'll proceed along that trajectory, beginning first with completing the reasons which is fun, and I think this will make sense to you. I think many of you have had deep uh, involvement with borders, and hopefully the discussion of the reasons will put all of that into perspective so that it makes sense, that borders make sense, because there are, in fact, reasons for them. So the first reason we spent almost half of a show on when we first met, and then we completed it yesterday uh, in our last uh, in our last episode, I should say, not yesterday, but in our last episode. Let me go through them again. So I'll just remind you of the first reason: why borders? Why bother? Reason one: without borders, for everything that casts a shadow, and that's the criteria for everything that casts a shadow. Everything looks the same. There is no pattern, and when everything looks the same. We cannot see the differences. So we lay down the pattern of work through borders. I told you that long story about how I discovered that and how there is this fundamental mechanism that the mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism that fits perfectly with what the pattern of work does for us, what the mind recognizes and how it can perform on a much higher level. Reason number two for borders. Borders give meaning to the word empty. Without borders, the real estate called space is not designated. The floor, the desk, the bench is unidentified. As a result, the barrel, for example, when the item is elsewhere, when the barrel is elsewhere, the space appears to be available, unclaimed, up for grabs. So we see a barrel sitting there claiming the space because it sits there, but there's no border. When the border, when the barrel is gone, the space looks available because there's no trace that anything, any barrel in this case, ever lived there or lives there now. When we put down a border, that changes. We have claimed the area and when the barrel is gone, even if the border lacks an address, which from time to time it does, we know that the space is empty and not available. It is empty temporarily, and borders give 
meaning to the word empty. It's one of the reasons why addresses are so important, but that's not the topic of our conversation today, so I will not dwell on it. <laughs> but the criteria is a border, an address, and if possible, an ID label for everything that casts a shadow. So that's the second reason, giving meaning to the word empty. Reason number three, with borders in place, you can tell at a glance when something is out of place, like a cart that is sitting slightly out of place, maybe sitting on the border at an angle. When that happens, do you know what we do, we humans do? We walk by the cart and we give it a little nudge so that it is back into place because we have this very high sense of symmetry. This is one of the other built-in balances of the mind that we seek and find harmony, balance. And with borders in place, with the pattern in place, we can then find what harmony means. We don't even think about it. And who can resist? You see something out of place and you just nudge it, especially if it's on wheels, and it's back into place and borders help us do that. That's reason number three. And you can notice that these reasons, they don't have the heft of the first reason, which is the mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism. And yet these small secondary reasons are reasons enough. And they help, borders help us follow that command. Reason number four. With borders in place, you can tell at a glance when something is missing. The space is empty, as we said before, and we know it. There's a border around it. Something is not in its home. And when you add an address, then you know exactly what is missing. Nevertheless, you can tell at a glance that something is missing when borders are in place and they are empty. So that's reason number four. Reason number five. With borders in place, you can spot intruders, intruders at a glance. That which should not be either there or in your department. It's kind of like this, er, 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 intruder, 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 that rolling cart, it should not be there. And in fact, clearly, it shouldn't be there, but it happens to belong to the maintenance guy, and he just brought the cart in, ignored the pattern of the borders, and left his cart kaboom. And you know right away, hey, that doesn't belong here. It's not just out of place, but it does not belong in my department. And it will only be there a little bit longer. So that's reason number five. Reason number six, with borders in place, you can tell at a glance what real estate is available for use and what is not what is available. And when you're in a tightly functioning work area where there's a machine and a bench and tools and fixtures, there's hardly any room at all. And the borders capture that. They capture the use of the real estate and you can tell at a glance. There's no room at all for anything else here, period. We have optimized the space through the applications of borders, and we have no more room. Or you might find the opposite. Hey, look at all that space. So those are, the, those are six of the 12. I'm just going to go over the next six and then add the 13. So number seven. Number seven. We can tell at a glance what is available. Number eight. We can tell at a glance what is not available in terms of space. Number nine, we can tell at a glance where we should walk. And number 10, we can tell at a glance where we must not walk. We should not walk. Number 11, we can tell where we are working and where we are not working. Now, you may find those to be kind of obvious answers, but in fact, that's what borders do, and it is worth stating so that you know that borders have a purpose beyond neat and orderly. Neat and orderly is barely an outcome. It is, it is more cosmetic 
than functional. And we want to move all of our thinking towards functionality. How does this impact my performance? And when we start talking about these functions, even as simple as where to walk, where not to walk, where to work, where we do not work, this would be in the case of emergency borders, areas that are not to be used or occupied or blocked in any way. And the 13th reason for the borders, for borders, which was sent to me many years ago when I was offering a book to anyone who could come up with a valid reason, another valid reason for borders, this young lady sent in this letter and she said, you owe me a book. And her reason for borders is a border gives you a place to put an address. I thought that was marvelous. In fact, that's true and it's highly functional. Many, many of the addresses are on the border itself, not all. When we get to addresses, you'll find that there's something like a dozen different places to place an address if you don't have the option or don't want to place it only on the border itself. So those are our 12 reasons. Let me get my little list. And I believe what is next on my list, I just buried it, my little list about, here we go. Now, yeah. Okay, so now we're going to talk about innovative borders. We had started these on our first show, two shows ago, and I had walked you through the deliciousness of the borders that went beyond aisle borders and framing borders, which is usually the only two choices you have. You put a border on the aisle so that you have a kind of straightaway and you know when you are in the aisle and when you are in somebody else's work area. And framing borders are the borders around uh, the chair, the bench, the waste paper basket. And it, went, it, it goes far, far beyond that. In fact, Operators, not I, but operators discovered another 16 borders that function distinctly enough to be called a type. And I'm going to go over a reminder of the ones we went through the other day and then go over some more. Now, let me say that again. It is borders that function distinctly enough from each other to be named a different type of border. For example, the patch border, which is instead of framing, you fill in the middle and it's a patch. And it can be very effective and it also has a wonderful cosmetic impact as well. Another is a double border, I'm sorry, a double color border, which is what Melody Sparrow did. If you remember, I've mentioned her a few times. She laid down her blue border, which was the framing border, and then on top of it, she would put a second color. It would be either blue, I'm sorry, it would either be green or black or pink to differentiate her diodes and her resistors and transistors because she worked in an area that supplied that. And even though she had outstanding addresses, they were 3D tabs sticking out of the shelves so you could tell what you were looking for was not down that aisle. She found that the double-colored borders allowed people to know exactly when the transistors ended and the resistors began, and that kept, that minimized the questions, minimized the interruptions that she would get because she sat nearby and people were always asking her, well, where are the resistors? Where do they begin and when do they end? And that's the way she solved that information deficit. And then we talked about the time-bound borders, and I gave you time-based borders. I gave you the example of Scania, where they would border off in this tactime-driven plant, Scania in Zwale, Holland, marvelous plant, marvelous thinking. They bordered off six minutes and 32 seconds of work content because they were very, very much on tack all the time. They were making uh, engines and engine assemblies. So those were five. Let's hit a few more. I want to talk to you about person with borders, which are, again, just as marvelous as you could imagine. A person with border allows you to both have the limiting function that a border gives, the limits 
of the space, but also access so you can walk. This is particularly important when you have, for example, Mountains of Whip, a machine that is producing mountains and mountains of whip because you're not yet time-based. Time you have not yet implemented JIT or lean, lean in the technical sense. You have to access the whip or you have to at least be able to access your machine and the whip is in the way. And so you make person with porters. It consumes another 10 inches, 10, 12 inches, so you can walk through it. Well, maybe 15 if you've got some big guys there. And you have access and you have boundary at the same time. Extremely valuable. You have seen, and this is very useful, unloading docks. You've seen loading docks where the exact size for an 18-wheeler is mapped out on the floor, and all we have to do is pack it up until those usually three lanes are filled up and we know we have a truckload. And when the truck comes, it just gets moved onto the truck, and we know that in advance. But what happened? What happens when we were supposed to pack the J-190s and we think we packed the J-190s, but we're not positive. Hmm. We better find out because if they're not in there, we're going to get in trouble with our customer. And then I'm going to get in trouble with my boss. So I go find Joe the move man and I say, hey, Joe, you know, I'm a little worried. I'm not quite sure that I packed the J-190s. By now, Joe is rolling his eyes because he's heard this from me before. And he says, yeah, yeah, Gwendolyn, and you want me to move all that stuff out so you can find out if the J-190s is there in the middle. Isn't that right? Oh, Joe, thank you so much. That's exactly what I want. <laughs> Would you please do it? I'm so sorry. Do you mind? And of course he minds. But Joe is a good guy. We have a, we're good friends, we're buddies, and even though he's not happy about it, he does it. And then I say, oh, look, Joe, there they are. See, I did pack them. I, I did remember. Uh, would you mind, Joe, putting it all back? Of course he minds. And how do we solve this? We put in person with borders so I can go down that aisle myself. I've got the boundary function for the 18-wheeler volume size, and I've got the access function because of person with borders. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. This is exactly what the guys at Denison Hydraulics did in incoming inspection, which I told you about last week. Bright, yellow, solid borders. It stopped Donnie and Pete, the forklift drivers, in their tracks. And they the, the pattern completely hit them between the eyes and said, and they said, wait a minute, something's going on here. I better not just put my junk here. <laughs> and they went to see Bunky and said, hey, what do you want me to do with this? Mm, they're very powerful. Okay. So that's another type of border. So smart. And you can use it again for access to Make sure there's a clear pathway to the machine or a clear pathway to anywhere that tends to get cluttered. There are other person with borders that are used. For example, there are person with pathways that are used to get through complex plants, big plants like Arnott's in uh, Australia, in Sydney. I remember when I was on the floor there, it's a huge space, it's very, very clean but it doesn't share a clue about where you are or how to get somewhere or even how to get out of there. And so after we did some work together, they laid down these gorgeous green board, um, green broad borders that acted as a pathway and also bounded the area. And then there were hatch marks, yellow slanted hatch marks that went across this beautiful emerald green border for where the forklift would come and cross the pathway. It was absolutely gorgeous. An excellent, excellent application. So let's move on to the next, another border innovation that was invented. I know exactly who invented it and I know when. This was 1987, if you can even imagine that date. 
But I remember that I was working with United Electric Controls near Boston. Bruce Hamilton was the head of engineering. And he said, Gwendolyn, I want you to do this visual thing you do with operators. And it was extraordinary. And Bob Camo, who was a 20-year employee at United Electric and a natural, powerful visual thinker, he loved the idea of borders, but he got tired of putting them in place for his hand tools. So one day he carried his hand tools over to the photocopier, laid them gently on the glass, very gently, pressed the button, and kabam, he had instant photocopied borders. Photocopied borders. And then he would cut them out, lay them down, and put plexiglass over them to protect, to protect them. He added addresses, of course. He ran into a difficulty because the photocopied borders were so perfect that sometimes he didn't know if his tool was in place or not. Sometimes the tool would be there and he would think the, it's just the border and sometimes the border would be there and it's, he'd think my tool is there, it'd come over, you know, he'd just glance over and it wouldn't be there or it would be there, whatever. So he made a little red mark on the tool itself and if that image had a red mark. He knew that was the tool. <laughs> but this was his invention. It never existed on the planet before. And you'll find this again and again. I'm waiting for another 10 types of borders to be discovered by you. By you, the people who are listening now, to get borders to function, to move away from this idea of lines. This is one of the drivers as I get to the third part of our discussion today. In fact, if I can finish it, I may not be able to. We will be talking about what is the value of this approach to borders. And one of them is underneath what you're hearing now. Two things, thinking and ownership, thinking and ownership. Any methodology that gives people not only an opportunity to think, but a framework for thinking, is value beyond money and beyond time. You are creating CPK and each individual who's involved, and in this case, each operator. Whether you have 50 operators or you have 100 or 3,000. And once people begin to own their environment, and to be able to change it in these ways that are nothing but positive, positive and forward moving, they own. They own the output. They create a language that they understand because it is their own. This is visuality as a language. We'll also be talking about not just ownership, but digging deeper. And how do you dig deeper when we're talking about borders? How do you actually differentiate a function? You pay attention to your motion, moving without working. You understand that if you are in motion, something has triggered it. And that if you can get the borders to speak, some of the missing information that has triggered that motion will evaporate. Motion is the footprint of information deficits. The information deficit is simply the lack of answers, the lack of information that is available, information that is accurate, complete, and handy, timely. You can get to it. So these are the mechanisms, the forces, the aspects of what's going on when these marvelous borders are invented and deployed or simply deployed using someone else's idea and making it work for your own work area. This is why when you look at 5S, traditional 5S, as we've discussed before, there is no lever. There's no lever, there's no engine there is only compliance. And so you skip the opportunity you have when you pull operators in 
to participate in improving their workplace to also develop the thinking capability in each operator. This thinking capability makes visual thinking a democracy. And in a way, it's also a meritocracy because the more you think, the more your deployment will be elegant, appropriate, dazzling, useful. Then you own something that's beautiful and it's your own. This language that we're developing, this visual language. And borders is borders are a powerhouse of this, a powerhouse. So, so we have done double color patch borders. We have done person with borders. Let me hit a couple of others. I'm going to hit, um, I talked about the garden gate. I remember that. forgot to mention that before. Person with borders. Then we have hatch borders for any area that is temporarily used uh, and you want to keep it clear, which is slightly different from another type of border, which is called the dash border, where the border has a dash around it and that is temporary use, but you aren't trying to keep it clear. You are simply uh, saying that what is in here in this spot is temporarily in the spot. But there are more. There are more. I'm kind of moving around the list. And when it comes in uh, in a moment for me to summarize <laughs> what's on the list, I'm not going to be able to do it in order. But let's talk about range of function borders. This is another. This was actually an insight I had. This one I, I'll take ownership of. It's a small one, but useful nonetheless. And we have seen it elsewhere. But I wanted to name it and to really make it a sub-technology. So this is the kind of border that you put into place when you want to show what happens when whatever is in that border is fully functional, the range of function. For example, you may put a framing border around a bench, but if the drawers pull out or something swings out, for example, in a crane, you want the full range of motion of that crane so you can simply see its limits and know that the range reaches here and there and there so that you place whatever needs that crane in the or hoist uh, within that range of function. It's usually dashed lines and it's curving. We do this for doors as well. If you name it, people will not have to copy it. They will understand it and use it appropriately. Okay, that's the difference. So range of motion, I remember a stack of drawers at Seton nameplate, a rack that held uh, screens that were stored. They were um, processed during the day and stored for night work when they were actually put into use. This was for screening way back when when you used screens. But the rack's full function didn't end with the rack itself. It ended when the screens were in place, when they were loaded on the rack. And Seton put a little dotted border around it. The dotted border was there to signal two things. The range of function of that rack, the true range of function, about two feet from the rack itself. And also that the rack was portable, that it was on wheels. Oh, let's see, is that about two feet? I'm looking at the picture now. I'd say it's about 18 inches. Okay. Range of motion in front of cabinets, the door swings, in front of big ovens at Schlumberger in Lawrence, Kansas. This engineer, his name is Richard. Oh, my goodness. He made those oven doors dazzling, beautiful orange range of motion, and then careful border pathways. It's called directional borders to get the work product directly in place inside of the oven. Gorgeous. And I've mentioned the, um, the dash borders. I remember Melanie had this red test stand, had a blue border around it, but when she used it, 
She put dashboarders in place so that it was in place even when it was out of its permanent place. It was in place when it was temporarily located while she was using it. Wonderful, wonderful thinking. The directional border that I mentioned is still another type. And I first saw it gloriously used at Royal Nordbaum Trailers. I worked with them for a couple or three years. Wonderful inventiveness. You know, people in Holland, the men and the women, they play chess. This is like Romania. Their, their, their minds are so groomed that they invented all kinds of, they innovated all kinds of uh, new thinking uh, during the time that we worked together. This particular border was placed uh, at an angle when a chassis came in from upstream. It was actually from a different building. The chassis would come down for some kind of final welding, and it would be placed, uh, um, the cart would be placed on this uh, directional border, and if you pull along that line, it would fall exactly into place, ka-chunk. And... Um, no adjustments were needed. Adjustments are nothing but information deficits and therefore triggering a, gate, uh, triggering a great deal of motion, the motion called adjustments. Uh, 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 no, not that. Uh, uh, no, no, getting closer. Uh, uh, do it again. They changed adjustments into settings. It's a principle of visuality. It should be a principle of lean. I think it is to change adjustments into settings so it becomes visual. Then there's the glorious double border function where you have borders positioned on borders. And I'm not quite talking about nested borders, although that is a type of double function. For example, a nested example of a nested border would be, as we found at Seton, which is a catalog company and they shipped internationally. They had a broad outside border that said international, and inside of it were Australia, Canada, Germany, England. So it was a nested border. But a double, another kind of double border function, oh, which one should I tell you about? Oh, I think I've already told you about uh, Victor at Nordbaum Trailers and Jean. They were short on space, and they had um, a big border, and inside the big border, was a smaller border, and that smaller border was kind of pushed up in the upper left, so it took a little, like a, a piece of the big border. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I went over to Victor. I said, Victor, what's going on here? I don't get it. I said, it's beautiful, but what the heck is it? What does it do? And he said this to me. He said, Gwendolyn, sometimes we have a lot in this space, and sometimes we have a little. But we never have a lot and a little at the same time, so we can use the same space. So he and John had worked through the work sequence and realized that sometimes they had a big chunk of raw material and sometimes they had less. The less in the picture that I have is some bogies, some axle wheel assemblies that took up just a, a small piece. And they realized that they could use the same space. They didn't need two spaces. Do you know how glorious it is for that realization to become visual for all of us to appreciate and be dazzled by? Wowzer. It's like three-dimensional chess. Double border functions. We taught them double borders. But double borders functions were the first time on the planet were invented by a gentleman named Gary who worked for Flint, in Flint for fleet engineers. And he worked down the line in a welding cell. And there were only two models. And he wanted to get ready. He, he began to get this flavor of excellence with visuality because he was gaining control over his corner of the world. And this sense of control that we get gives us the freedom to feel the possibility of excellence, to master our environment. And he wanted to master the information deficits that had previously just kept him running ragged. And so he asked the guys at the top of the stream, at the beginning of the cell, hey, can I lay down a special set of borders here? Because I want to be able to see when the model changes. And I'll ask the forklift guy to lay model A the long way. 
And when it changes to model B, to lay it on an angle, and I'll be able to tell that at a glance. I don't have to see the address. I can just glance over and by the angle I'll know, ah, look at they've changed to B. I better get my tools ready. He wanted to be that good. Do you understand what I'm talking about here in terms of ownership? It goes so far beyond what a supervisor would find acceptable or the standard that it becomes a class in itself. It becomes inspiring and excellent. It is a redefinition of excellence for that particular cell, for that particular company. And when you start um, triggering that level of visual best practice, the entire company lifts. People get not just excited but committed to a workplace that allows them to discover their own incredible creativity, their own growing sense of excellence, their engagement. Ono said it best. He said, people don't come to Toyota to work. They come to think. They come to think. And he considered that to be an outcome, as do I. And I invite you to do that too. If you want to have an aggressive vision of your company on the operations level, adopt that. Let that be your T-shirt. People don't come to ABC Company to work, front of your T-shirt, back of your T-shirt. They come to think. That's who we are. That's what we support and promote and reward and recognize and glory in. That is the glory. Hmm? So Gary wanted that. And Victor saw it. We showed, a, we showed the Gary example, the PTR 26A and the PTR 26B mud flaps. Spring-loaded mud flaps, mud flaps, a component of that going into the welding cell. And tell me that is not an art. That is not museum quality art, that level of thinking. This is what we mean by borders are an opportunity to develop your workforce, to give them an opportunity to learn to think and to glory in it so that the excellence part of operational excellence becomes uh, a daily habit. It isn't just improvement. It's improvement to the nth degree, not because you're driving me to do it, but because I want it and because I have a framework of thinking. I use motion. I have an information deficit. That's all that Gary was saying. I have an information deficit. I don't know when the model changes. And visuality can help me. And once I get that identified and in place, I'll go on to something else. This is a different, this is the pattern. He put down that pattern, and it freed up his mind to look for the next level of pattern. This is continuous improvement. You see how these pieces are working together? And all we've been talking about for three shows, and clearly I'm going to go into a fourth show, all on borders. All that we've been talking about is borders. Because as I see it, and as I'm hoping to persuade you to see it, is that borders are a transformational pivot point. They are an opportunity for deep dive. Yes, if you work in offices, borders will not be relevant. You'll be able to create border-like environments, maybe through rugs and runners. But you will not be able to find the precision and the glory that can be found on the shop floor through borders in all industries, in cabling, in automotive, certainly, in welding, in assembly of all sorts, fabrication, utilities, printing, printing presses, printing companies, manufacturing. At the beginning, I said, the incredible financial benefits, they come and they they come in floods, those benefits. The cultural alignment, 
becomes stronger and stronger. People become more and more committed. But the other thing that happens is the third thing I said to you, which is people enjoy themselves at work. They come to work to discover. They discover the secrets of the shop floor and they discover their own strengths. They discover their strengths. And the wise manager recognizes it, supports it, and goes further. This is what visuality does. It becomes a language that your operators learn to speak until they become highly literate. And they're writing poetry. They're just knocking your socks off. You go down to Crown in Queretaro and see what's going on in Plant One. We've moved over to Plant Two. It's a culture, a new culture. It takes a little while. But you'll see people not only, not just owning, but loving what they've done. And the event is called Thinking. This is the glories of the mind. And we learn to use them. And so we enjoy them. The mind. Remember what Woody Allen said in was that movie is called Sleeper. He said, thinking is my second favorite. Oh, anyway, he went on for there, from there. I don't want to get an X rating for my, my little radio show on the visual workplace. So that's double border function. That's another of the 18 types. Really functions differently from person with borders, from photocopied borders, distinctly differently. Let's talk about borders I think I'll do the rest of the show on on types of borders because I won't be able to move to the third segment. I hope you forgive me, but I have to say I've been teaching this for three decades and it never gets old. I always find it marvelous. I hope this is substantive enough for you to uh, enjoy it on your own. I hope it's not just me uh, raving and telling you about what a good time I'm having. I hope that you're getting these pieces. And, you know, I've said to you before, what one of the things I love about Visual Workplace Radio is that I am presenting hours and hours and hours of sharing and teaching and defining and, um, and uh, manipulating ideas around the visual workplace. And there's no visual component. I laugh about that sometimes. So let's move on to borders as controls. This will be the last one I'm going to be able to do today. We'll finish them up in the next show and then go on to that third segment about um, some of the themes I've already introduced about the thinking component. I want to bring in iDriven and some of the other um, components of borders and very, very strongly the sustainment piece. Sustainment is not a mystery. Just the writing about it has been very flimsy, as though people don't know, people who are supposed to be experts don't really know what sustainment means when you actually work somewhere. Anyway, I'll complain about that next week. So borders as control. Um, The vocabulary that has developed over the last oomph uh, decades with me has made a crisp differentiation in what a visual control is. A visual control is a subset of a visual device. Visual device is the generic term, but a visual control limits our behavior. And not all visual devices do. Addresses don't. ID labels don't limit limit our behavior. Normally, a visual control limits our behavior by structuring in size, volume, number. It restricts our choices. That's why we call it a control. So we can go on about controls itself, but right now, let's look at control as an innovation for a a border. Borders provide orderliness and precision But how about a border that also provides the precision of counting? How about if we lay down borders in a grid so that we can tell at a glance that we should stack this raw material one high, three deep, five across, 15. That's how many components or boxes or units, 
fit here. 15, no more. If there are less, we can tell, but no more than 15. How about that? We're using the border function for counting or for control. Or how about if our supplier says, hey, when these spools are empty and you have 75, send them back to us, but we want them in lots of 75. What are you going to do? Count them all the time? Nope. What you're going to do is build a big border going high up in the wall, in the wall two, three, four, five high, three deep, five across, and that will give us 75. And when that space is filled, we know we have enough. We call our supplier and say, hey, pick them up. Or the supplier comes in and says, oh, it's filled. I'll take it. Okay? That's using borders as controls. Nah, I want to go on and tell you about barrier borders, which are an extension. But we'll do that. And foam borders, which are an extension of the control function. But we'll do that the next time we meet. I am, I am enthusiastic about borders. I do not call them lines. Very few people around me call them lines. <laughs> they, they get jumped on. <laughs> it's not a line, it's a border. Borders function. Borders are one of the three elements that create the visual wear. The visual wear provides the answer to the most important question that operators have, which is where are things? Where is, and fill in the blank, once the operator has the visual wear in place, the operator will feel as though 90% of the visual workplace is in place because he or she is in control. There are many, many other layers of visuality, but nothing as powerful, as destructively powerful, than the absence of the visual wear, and that is why it is so welcomed and so positively powerful when we put it in place and we begin with borders. We begin on the floor and then we go up to the work surfaces and then we go inside into the cabinets and onto the shelves. I had a very good time with you today. This is really, oh my, my amongst my most favorite things to talk about. I like to talk about anything that's visual. I want to wish you a very rewarding and satisfying journey to wherever you're going and let the visual workplace be one of your des destinations. I want to wish you great success as a visual thinker or a visual thinker in the making. My name is Gwendolyn Galsworth. This is Visual Workplace Radio. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.